take, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, page 1668 this morning. So we didn't get time at the end of uh, last week's message to really cover verse 14 uh, of chapter 5, and most people think that Paul is quoting uh, an early Christian uh, worship chorus, so something like we might have just sang, uh, when he writes this, he says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, because and this is just a great transition for us as we head into today's passage, because when we come out of the darkness of the ways and the patterns of this world that we were all born into and for many years just kind of lived by, it's like we kind of are, are brought out of a trance. In our former way of life, dead in our transgressions, we were blind to the truth, and we were subject to the father of lies, captive by Satan. But once we've been saved and redeemed by Christ, the Holy Spirit invades us, uh, and we are wa- awakened to a new reality, and, and the light of Christ begins to shine in us, and he gives us eyes to see. And through a process that's called progressive revelation, that's just a fancy way of saying over time, all of us begin to see God and ourselves and others and our circumstances in this world the way they truly are. Okay? So this morning, as we head into verse 15 through 20, um, Randy Johnson is going to stand and... Uh, and uh, Read that passage for us. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. All right. So because we are light and no longer darkness, because we are no longer enemies of God, but we are God's holy people, chosen and adopted, because our old self has been crucified and we've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus our Lord, because all of these things are now true of us, Paul says, be very careful then how you live very careful okay and the greek uh there would would um mean something like this examine closely examine closely be very careful how you live and then with the emphasis on the how okay or or the way in which you go about your life not necessarily what you do that's important but also the way in which you do it the the culture the climate the posture in which you kind of carry out the things you do Examine those things closely. Be intentional. Don't just live life haphazardly. If I were to go to your family and friends right now, every one of you, and I were to ask them to give three words that would describe you and the way in which you live your life, what do you think that they would say? So what I want you to do right now is get out pen and paper or get your phone open. And I want you to take a stab at what you think people would say, three words about the way in which you live your life. Three words about the way that they think you live your life. 
somebody willing to, to share something. If I ask those folks, what would they say? Nope, nobody's willing. All right. <laughs> I'm going to share mine in a minute if that makes you feel any better. Okay. Anything. What do you think people would say about you? Yes. Dedicated and then grace and truth. Okay, great. Who else? You don't have to say all three. Just throw one out if you want. Man, what a crowd today. Gosh, all right. Yes. Passionate, intelligent, closed off. Okay, good. Yeah. Impatient? Okay. <laughs> Anything else? It's hard to do, isn't it? Um, I actually, instead of like guessing what people would say, I texted all three of my older kids this week, and I said, what three words would you use to describe dad okay and here is the list that my kids came up with kind of one child at a time productively purposely eternally efficiently purposely again so we're getting a theme here <laughs> relationally and then intentional invested and disciplined so if we ask enough people around us who kind of know us well we start to get a little bit of a picture of how people view the way in which we live our life. And it tells us something. And I think that this is a really good exercise. I would even maybe encourage you to ask some people um, in your life these things. Um, because Paul is, is trying to be really clear that, guys, our life should, should stand in contrast. Right? As followers of Christ, we've talked about during this series of being set apart. Our life should look differently than the ways in which the people of this world live. We are to be wise, he says, instead of unwise. We're to be concerned about doing God's will instead of foolish things. Filled with the Spirit instead of escaping through the use of depressants, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But I love this imagery that Paul uses in another uh, letter that he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you could flip to the left a little bit in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You've probably heard this passage before. As a coach, it's one of my favorites. Verse 24, do, not, do you not know, this is 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Central High School. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So why does Paul say that he lives this disciplined life? What does he say at the, at the end? What's the point of it all? Yeah. 
that? Okay, for the prize, yeah. What else? So that what? Okay, so you're not a hypocrite when you speak to other people? Yeah. What can happen in a race <laughs> when you don't follow the rules? You can get disqualified, right? And so, or, you know, if you, or we had the steroid era, right? If you guys, any of you guys remember a sprinter named Ben Johnson, Canadian guy in the 90s, like set all these records, broke Carl Lewis's record. He was a big famous American from the 80s, if you're unfamiliar, okay? But then you found out he was on steroids, and it's like, eh, it just kind of loses all, right? Just kind of like Barry Bonds and, you know, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, all these guys breaking these records. It's like if you don't do it by a means in which is fair and honest and, and really shows your discipline and integrity, then everything you do after that is kind of just tainted, right? So even just in our Christian life, the way in which we live, the way in which we go about living our life speaks a lot. We don't want to disqualify our ministry to be disqualified because of the way in which we're operating, okay? In verse 16, it says this, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. <laughs> the days are evil. Isn't that the truth? I mean, we live in a broken world that is bent toward struggle and pain and suffering. And its natural state is decay. Okay, so that's kind of the natural state of the world we live in. We have to keep that intention. Also, over here, we've got an enemy, Satan, whose job it is to steal, kill, and destroy life. So those two realities are constantly in play as we go about our days. And those truths should create in us a mindset as followers of Christ. The fact that we live in a rough world <laughs> and that we have an enemy that's trying to kill and to steal and destroy our life. As Christians, that should mean something for us. That should mean that we should expect this life to be rough. We should expect that. Jesus made it very clear to his followers. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's going to be difficult, right? His disciples, Peter and John, later on in life, they're writing these letters and they write these things in 1 Peter 4.2. It says, as a result, they do not live like the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather, that's actually not the right verse. I'll get back to that. Do not be surprised, 1 John 3.13, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you, okay? Let me actually get, it's actually 1 Peter 4.12, so let me read that real quickly. It says, dear friends, right, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Right, so Peter's talking about fiery ordeals and John's talking about trouble and, and don't be surprised when people hate you. But I think as Christians, we can live under this illusion because the world tries to sell us a story that if we just make the right choices or we control and manipulate circumstances and environments or just follow the, the role of make good grades and go to get the right school and get the right job, that you can kind of orchestrate this pain-free life, this comfortable life. And, and even Christians, I think we fall into that and buy into that lie. And so then we're surprised when life doesn't go the way we thought we'd work so hard for it to go. 
And because we live in an evil world that's bent on destruction and extinguishing the light of God and his truth, Paul says, then make the most of every opportunity. Okay, here's the deal. Because the world sucks, there's a lot of opportunity. A lot of opportunity. Wisdom, gratitude, love, compassion, on and on. The ways of Jesus, the way that he operated. That should stand in in sharp contrast to the evil days that we live in. When we live like Christ, guys, we stand out. It's different. And people are expecting to get this reply, but yet followers of Christ give them this. Forgiveness, grace. It's like, whoa, that's different. And so we try to live intentionally and purposely and with an eternal perspective and with a sense of urgency in our life. And we're to live with an enlightened eye. Are we praying for our eyes to see the opportunities in front of us? God, give me the eyes to see what the potential is. Are we taking Paul's advice? Earlier in chapter 5, verse 10, he said, find out what pleases the Lord. Right? Are we trying to find out what pleases God and then doing it? And throughout scripture, God refers to himself as the Redeemer. The Hebrew word there is, is Hagoel. That's the title. And multiple times in the book of Isaiah, you'll find this statement. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Okay, God is speaking, saying, hey, I'm the Redeemer. That's who I am. That, that's what God does. His nature is to redeem. And from the very beginning, that's been his nature. Okay? And in redeeming those broken things is throughout Scripture. And one of my favorite reminders of this is in Genesis chapter 50. And at this time, it's a story of Joseph. If you remember Joseph with the, the fancy coat, and his brothers get jealous of him. And one day they're traveling, and, and they actually, because of their jealousy, they sell him away and betray him. And he, he gets sold to these people that take him on to Egypt. And through the course of events of God really using his life, he, he raises his way up the ladder in Egypt to a place of influence to where when a time of famine comes, he's able to actually provide food for his people in Israel. And later on in his life, when he had been reconciled to his brothers, Joseph said this in Genesis fifty twenty. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, Joseph made the most of his opportunities. Even when he had been wronged in his life, he didn't succumb to this, this victim mentality. Everybody's out to get me. He didn't sit in the prison cell saying, woe is me, and stewing about how he's going to you know, plot revenge. But trusted that God would do a redemptive work through him. Is that our desire as well? What is the opportunity in front of you right now in your life? Is there a posture or a mindset change that needs to take place in you so that God can use you to do a redemptive work in that situation, in that relationship? Right? What's the opportunity? Verse 17 says, therefore, 
in the midst of these troubling days, these evil days, where we want to make an impact and redeem what was intended for evil, he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And last week, we talked a lot about what foolishness looks like. It's a life marked by sexual immorality and impurity and greed. It's a a mouth that, that quickly kind of speaks obscenity and coarse joking. Those things come to the lips easily. Paul, if you remember, called those things fruitless deeds of darkness. Basically, what he's saying is there's no redeeming value coming for those things. I mean, that's how I would describe a foolish life. When you look at fools in this world, there's just no redeeming value in in what they do. It doesn't benefit somebody else besides themselves, and it really probably mostly causes destruction to themselves and those around them. Instead of being foolish, he says we're to do the Lord's will, the things that matter to him. But not only that, we need to do it in a way in which he models for us. So we need to do the right thing, and we need to do it the way in which he did it, which was self-sacrificially and humbly and full of wisdom and truth. Okay? Paul gets more specific about the foolish life in verse 18. If we could look at that again. Verse 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, there are some obvious observations to be made here, and I don't want to spend a a side road on this very long, besides to say that Scripture is pretty clear that getting drunk is not part of God's plan for you, all right? It's kind of like when we talk about sexual immorality and, and impurity. It's just not God's design for us. So there's really no wiggle room on that discussion. Alcohol some of you know it's a depressant okay it dampens the mind it impairs people's judgment okay from having sound judgment the holy spirit in us does the exact opposite it's a stimulant when we're filled with the spirit it awakens us we're aware of what's going on in our heart our mind our emotions we can make sound judgments but those are really just surface observations So here's a deeper application, I think, maybe that gets at the the heart of this a little bit more. As we said before, we we live in in evil days, okay? So there's all kinds of trouble around us. And for what it's worth, um, I've probably felt um, that more keenly this year than I have at any time in my life. The fact that we are living in an evil world. And in the midst of that painful reality... We all need help. Okay, this world is broken, and honestly, like, our hearts, we weren't created for this. Our, our hearts can't handle the level of destruction and dysfunction in this world. And I'm, like, not even that tender-hearted. Shocker. Okay? Those of you that, like, are like my wife and, like, are tender-hearted, like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it just overwhelms. Not just, let alone the stuff that goes on in our own family and the brokenness of the friends around us, but just the world as a whole. Like, those of you that have heavy hearts, you don't even watch the news, right? You're just like, "Uh uh-uh, I got enough pain right here, right? And 
whether it's alcohol or something else, the real question is what do you run to when the days are evil? What are you running to? Are you using something other than God to escape or to numb the pain you're experiencing? Because we have this constant choice as followers of Christ to either lean into the Spirit or to trust in our flesh. Those are kind of the two paths that we can take. So what are we looking to for satisfaction and for comfort? In Galatians 3, verse 3, Paul wrote this, After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? What he says is like, man, you got out of the gate really well as followers of Christ. Right? It was kind of exciting, and you started to really make some progress in changing the way you viewed things and the life you were living, but now it, it seems like you're kind of falling back into the old patterns of your flesh. And that can look like a lot of ways in our lives, guys. That can look like trusting in our flesh can look like falling back into just self-reliance. Right? Hey, I got this. I can figure this out. It can look like focusing on achievement to get the affirmation that we need or relationships. It can look like addictions. Like I said, to kind of numb or to kind of distract you. It can look like control, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get things back in order here in my life. I'm feeling the, the tension of the brokenness. So when we are overwhelmed by the brokenness, what do we turn to that isn't God? I'm going to open it up. Do you guys have anything that you know that in your flesh that you kind of naturally turn to for some kind of comfort or satisfaction that isn't God? If you're just honest. Yeah, Jake. Anything but God, he said. Just whatever he can find that probably gives you a temporary sense of relief or, yeah, whatever, some kind of tangible quick fix of, of you know, of joy or happiness or whatever, okay? Yeah. What else? Honesty is a good one. Yeah, buddy. Com completing a task. Yeah. Finishing something you can control. Yeah. I don't know. I can't deal with all the evil, but I'm going to mow my lawn. Right? And then it's going to be done. And I can look at it and say, hmm, that felt good. Right? What else? Yeah, Chris. Mm, just shut down emotionally. Okay? Yeah. So you don't have to feel the, the pain or the hurt. Yeah. Mm. just grab the phone, start looking at Facebook or Instagram or whatever, just distract myself, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, 
escape to something else, right? I'm going to start planning my next vacation. That's going to that's gonna be relief if I can just get that on the calendar, right? Or my next purchase. Hmm. I think I've shared this before, but probably for at least the last five years or so, maybe a little bit longer, um, almost daily um, when I write, I write my prayers in a prayer journal in the morning. Almost daily, I write for God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Pretty much every day for the last five years. And I pray that God would do that, would fill me with his spirit so that I don't miss the opportunities that are in front of me. I pray and I say, God, I want you to fill me with your spirit so that I'll have eyes to see who needs encouragement today. Who can I serve today? Who needs some love or some affirmation? Whatever he might want me to do. And I ask him to fill me so much <laughs> that it would overflow. That I would have more to give away. That, that he would pour me out to the world around me so that others would see him and know him and experience the benefits of his presence and his grace in their lives. Guys, there are so many people in this world that are hurting. Hurting. I mean, desperate people. And especially after the year we just went through with the pandemic, I mean, the number of just suicide and suicide attempts just skyrocketing, right? The drug situation. <laughs> Overwhelming. And we all know those people. What are we offering them today? What are we offering them? Do we even see them? Do we hurt for them? Are we willing to get uncomfortable and, and, and actually willing to like bear the burdens of somebody else? Because I can tell you this, guys, from my own experience, right? Hurting people are demanding. Right? They take a lot of time and energy and effort and, and listening and patience and love and sometimes finances and all kinds of things. What will a Holy Spirit-filled person's life look like? Paul describes it in verses 19 through 20, and I'll just summarize it by these three things. He says, they will speak, they will sing, and they will give thanks. A, spil a spirit-filled person naturally does those things. It's kind of their way of living, okay? They'll speak to others. Specifically, they'll speak to others from the word of God. And I hope that you guys have some relationships in your life right now where you regularly talk with these people about what you're reading in the word that you're sharing with a friend a brother or sister in christ on the phone at small group whatever it might look like and you're saying hey guys here's here's what i read last week here's how that encouraged me here's how that challenged me i really hope that you're regularly doing that because it kind of it kind of ups the ante for one right of why we come to the word because I really believe that when we come to the word, God has stuff not just for us, 
He has stuff for us to then give away to others. Right? Anything, any gift that he gives to us is for the benefit of somebody else. So when we're in the word and we take that time and we make that a priority in our life, he's setting us up then to have something to offer someone else besides our own worldly opinions. That's truth. Not just how we feel or what we want to say to that person. And this kind of living <laughs> made me think about a verse that I focused on in, in 2020. It was from Romans 1, 11 through 12. I wrote this on my whiteboard in my office. It said this, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Man, isn't that a great goal? That every interaction that you have with a brother or sister in Christ would include that experience. That when we got together, I gave you something from the word of God that made you strong. In the face of the fact that we're living in a world that's filled with evil. And that's just constantly just kind of pounding on us. Right? That when we get together, I would give you something that would bolster you in the midst of that. And that we would walk away from that conversation being like, oh my gosh. I'm so glad I spent time with so-and-so. Because they had something of substance to share with me. That gave me some hope. That I could get through this. That I could come out on the other side okay. So a spirit-filled person will speak, and then they will sing from the heart. And notice it doesn't say that they'll sing from the mouth, okay, but from the heart, which means everybody can participate, even if you can't sing, all right? And so what Paul is talking about here is more about, it, it's talking about the posture of your life. Is there a joy, a deep joy in you from knowing Christ? That no matter what your life circumstances are, when people are around you, there is this song of praise on your heart and mine and coming through your lips as well. Uh, a couple of years ago, I did a sermon series on a passage in 2 Corinthians 1 about the God of all comfort. And at the beginning of that letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, where he's actually kind of being attacked and criticized and his integrity is being brought into question by them. And that was a really painful experience for Paul because he had gone there, he had served them, he had loved them, he had suffered for them to know the gospel, to hear it for the first time. He's the one that brought the message to them. And at the beginning of the letter, before he even dove into the controversy, he began by saying this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter how this conversation turns out, regardless of whether I get that apology that I'm hoping for and maybe I kind of really feel like I deserve, regardless of that, praise be. A spirit-filled person will praise God in season and out of season. When life is going well and when life is in the crapper what you will hear from them is praise God. And not in a cheesy, like, superficial, stupid way that it gets thrown around, but like in a legitimate way where you can tell, no, they really mean that. Okay? A spiritual person. Finally, can you all look at verse 20 again with me? 
It says this, and I had to kind of stop and read this a few times this week. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Now, I don't know if you noticed this when Brother Randy read this earlier, okay? But I really want you to stop and think about what that says right there. Always for everything. Okay? You hear that? Always for everything. Now, what does that not leave any room for? Zero room for what? What? What's that? Yeah, some things in some time, right? What else? There's no room for what? Complaining. Grumbling. Zero room for that. Right? In another book in Philippians, Paul says, you know, that don't, don't ever grumble or complain or argue about anything. Always. Guys, listen. Only a spirit-filled person can have that perspective. Because it does not make any sense. As followers of Christ, you guys know this, we are not immune to suffering. Right? We don't get a free pass through this world just because we're Christians from suffering. Right? We either will experience or we will know somebody we experience or love around us that will get cancer that will go through a divorce, that will lose their job, that will lose a child, or fill in the blank of whatever other potentially tragic thing that you can think of. And the only way that those broken things can be redeemed for good, and we can truly be thankful even in those situations, is if we lean into the Spirit. Lean into God and His church and His Word and His healing power in those times. Because filled with the Holy Spirit, we can give thanks in every situation. Paul wouldn't set us up for something that we can't do. And we can, like he says earlier in chapter 5, we can walk in the way of love. Because Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And so as we leave today, I just want to put up a few questions on the screen. You can take a screenshot of it if you want to reflect on a little bit more throughout your day. I want you to see if any of these things connect and make you think about the way that you're living your life. Are you being careful? Are you being wise? Are you making the most of every opportunity? Soak those in for just a moment. Here's a tendency that I want to um, squash 
I want to squash this voice, this narrative, before it gets started. Okay? Because most of us are looking at the screen thinking, I suck. I am horrible, worthless, waste of a Christian, right? Guys, none of us are doing all these things well. Right? We talk about when we begin our spiritual journey, we all begin as spiritual infants. Right? We're learning. The key is that we want to be better. And being better requires intentionality. You're not just going to stumble into being an amazing reflection of Jesus. It's not going to happen just waking up every morning or even coming to church or going to small group. Those things could help. Right? Just like, you know, becoming a great runner doesn't mean, well, if I, I, I came to practice, okay. I went to a meet, all right. I ran a race, okay. Did you train? As Paul says, did you beat your body, <laughs> make it your slave so that you can produce something better that you improve, right? It requires intentional living. <laughs> and so I guess one thing I would want to share with you, whatever it is that's kind of leaping out at you today in terms of how do I live a life where I'm making the most of every opportunity is I would tell a friend and I would do this in community. Right? When you, when you really want to make a change in your life, whether that's a diet or an exercise routine or whatever, you, you invite other people in. Right? Misery loves company. Right? Let's, let's not eat together. Or let's eat weird crap we never would have eaten. Right? I tell you, people tell me about these diets sometimes, and I'm like, you eat what? Forget it. You know? I'm sure there's a diet out there somewhere that I can just eat barbecue all the time. And, you know, we're all going to heaven anyways. Like, what? No, I'm just kidding. I got all kinds of comebacks for the eat vegetables crowd. <laughs> right? But do it in community, folks, with others. You're not going to change on your own. You weren't designed to. You were designed to be around other people who have different skill sets, abilities, talents, and gifts, encouragement, all those things to bring whatever it is you need that day. Okay? And remember, guys, the whole reason, why are we doing this? Right? We're doing this so that we won't be disqualified. Right, so that, so that when we get in those moments where we, we, we need to offer something to somebody else in this world who doesn't know Jesus that's really hurting, that we have something to offer them because we've, we've lived our life in an intentional way. We've lived a life worthy of the calling that we've received. Right? Not just that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, oh man, I'm a really good Christian because I had my quiet time today, but so that when we're in the moments when we're with somebody who's hungry and thirsty for something that's real, we have something to offer them. We can look him in the eye and tell him, I know this Jesus who, who has satisfied me, and here's how he did it, and here's what his word says about this situation in your life. I was thirsty. Here's the well that I went to that always filled me up that never leaves me dry. I want to introduce you to that Jesus. Let's pray.